This is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them. Where's your innovation, huh? Sequels suck. Do the same thing. Everyone's happy. It's all about money, boys! Here we go again. I've got a really good feeling about this. Hey guys, and welcome back to a special episode of Franchise Fatigue. I'm your host, Gabe Green, and as always, I am here with my co-host, James Hamrick. How's it going? Pretty good. Pretty happy that we get to talk about this movie now, after everything surrounding it. Yeah, it's been a very simple production, right? Nothing but smooth sailing. (laughs) Uh, So today we are going to be talking about our first reactions to Solo, A Star Wars Story. Uh, We actually weren't even planning on doing an episode, but uh, we had a week where we weren't recording, so we decided, what the heck. Now, we will be doing a full in-depth ep- uh, episode and review of this film, along with all the behind-the-scenes drama later on down the line when it fits in with the uh, the chronological timeline of Star Wars. But for now, this will just be our re- a really brief first reactions, you know, what we thought of Solo overall. Um, we're not even going to try to touch on all the crazy production stuff and whatnot. So, yeah, without further ado, James, what did you think of Solo, A Star Wars Story? I loved it. Like, I'm happy to say that. I really did. Good. All right. See you, folks. That's it. You know, see you next week. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I can say I loved it, but I did really like it. Um, I think, it, you know, it had some issues and disappointments, but overall, I think it did generally exceed my expectations, especially with, you know, the, the kind of the critical reception that came out of the gate seemed very lackluster. Although, all of the reviews basically said, use the word unnecessary, which I pretty much tune out when someone says a film is unnecessary. Like, yeah, well, duh. All films are unnecessary almost. Yeah, so, but coming into it, I was just shocked by how happy I was to be watching it. This is just a fun film that constantly keeps you you know, right there with it on, on the edge of your seat. There's a lot of great tense sequences. Um, the characters are really fun and lively, and there's const- a bunch of constant interplay. It reminded me a lot of J.J. Star Trek films, uh, the first one especially. I mean, not, not only because there's a whole sequence around a black hole. Uh, spoiler alert. <laughs> oh, yeah, we will be doing this. Whole, we will be spoiling things. Um, just so you know, you should, probably shouldn't be listening to reviews anyway if you if you uh, don't want it spoiled. But yeah, there's not just because there's a sequence around a black hole, but there is that it has that feeling of intensity and constant propulsion that uh, JJ is able to um, infuse in his films, obviously nowhere near as uh, intense as his films are. But did it, did you feel that at all? It just felt like it was, it really, really knew where it was going and it never wasted a second trying to get there. Yeah, I did feel that like we're never in one place talking about what we're going to do for too long. This movie always feel it's always on the move, you know, to quote Obi-Wan. Um, uh, and that feels like JJ in a way where it's we've always got a mission. We're always going to the next thing and then the next thing, and um, and there's this blend of like there's there's a lot of fun and there's a lot of real comedy, but it's never undermining like this actual real sense of intensity and danger. Um, yes. And so just from the very beginning to the very end, I'm always I felt like I was kind of edging towards the edge of my seat a little bit over the time, like there. Uh, there were moments where I'm like, the only people here is Han and Chewie, and I know they're going to live, but I'm still, like, excited in this moment. Yeah, like, there were moments in the Kessel Run where I had just, like, remind myself to breathe. I think that that sequence is truly incredible. Um, the way Howard is able to create constant, like, sequential uh, um, 
parts of you know, danger and threat and suspense. And he just does it over and over and over again for like, I think, I think it was pro- it's probably a good 20 minutes, but it just keeps ramping up and up and up and up and just giving. And it also manages to give all the characters, even though it's just flying a ship, all the characters have their little moments and things to do in this constant interaction. And just the way the threats are able to kind of pile on top of each other without ever feeling like, Oh, come on. Really? is it's masterful i mean you it's very difficult to do it and it has me completely on the edge of my seat for that entire 20 minute uh period till when it finally ends it's like whoa <laughs> that was cool yeah like that for me it lived up to you know all the ideas of what the what the kessel run was um and yeah, speaking of the falcon something i loved about this is he he really fully utilized it to me like during that scene you know, everybody had something to do. We're, we're running around the Falcon. We're, we're exploring new rooms we haven't even seen yet. You know, and then dipping, like, uh, injecting the fuel with, like, a drop of coaxial and, like, seeing the Falcon do new things that we haven't even seen before. Um, one of my favorite parts, if not my favorite part of that whole sequence is, you know, going to do a little trick my friend showed me. He died doing <laughs> this. in Corellia. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and speaking of the way they, they highlighted the Falcon is that he put a real sense of physicality into the piloting. Like it was almost like watching Fast and Furious, the way he would kind of zoom up in, in all the buttons he's pressing and the, the, the steering wheel and whatever that, you know, just the, the, the throttle or whatever. Just it felt it gave that kind of intensity people give that they would give to driving sequences and say Fast and the Furious. It just gives it really makes you feel like you are literally watching him fly and you are kind of following everything he has to do to make this thing work. And man, I, you know, we saw that shot of the, um, the Falcon flipping around and batting that tie factor into the, into the asteroid, like a dozen times in the trailers. I still wanted to get up and cheer every time he does that. I've seen the movie three times and every time I I just like want to get up and cheer at that moment. Yeah. That one of the things that I was going to bring up was that idea that, you know, it feels like we're we're really flying this thing more so than I think the original trilogy. Beyond that, more so than even the new films. I you know I really did get the sense that you know like you know he's the one maneuvering it in all these crazy different positions because I feel like sometimes and even with these new films, it still feels like they're just kind of sitting in the cockpit and like maybe motioning like okay now i'm turning here but this it it felt like you know like a car chase or something and and i think a lot of that was helped by it showing you know like the dashboard almost and all the different flips and, and the steering wheel especially honestly i feel like this is the first time i actually took note of what the steering wheel for the falcon actually looks like like that almost handlebar type thing um and so i think by showing that so much and just sitting with han for so long a period of time as he's doing all these maneuvers, it feels like, and I'm almost hoping that, you know, when I marathon this in, in like a chronological order, that it'll, seeing this will kind of give me that feeling in all the future ones because I, I know what it looks like now. Uh, but yeah, mm-hmm. I, I really loved what they were able to do. And in, you kind of get that, at least for the very beginning uh, in the scene on Corellia, you almost do get that like street racing vibe, especially there, but I feel like it kind of carries over even into just piloting throughout the film. Yeah. And just that little touch of giving the, the seats the ability to slide back and forth gives that whole, the, the cockpit, which is, you know, like 
five feet by six feet, a, a, a great sense of staging, like the way you could do, use that in the midst of the dialogue scenes. It's just, uh, it's just a weird thing I noticed, and um, I wonder why he took that feature away later on. <laughs> yeah, not sure. It seems uh, seems helpful. And man, that scene when Kira backs up, she said, "All right, Chewie, you know, take the." Uh, yeah. Uh, I forget what she says, but he Get he obviously becomes the co-pilot there, and you hear the music swell. Like there were so many great moments. Yeah, so I guess to, to this is the perfect film, and that we do have some criticisms. I want to touch on some of them really quickly. Um, like all the reviews leading into it said that the first half hour is pretty choppy, and <laughs> yeah, it really is. Um, it's. I wonder how much of this is a product of having to do reshoots. Because the 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 two main the two main dialogue scenes in the first basically as we are introduced to these characters, the dialogue is like ninety percent exposition. It's like bad. <laughs> yeah, you know this happened to you because this and this and this. So because of all those things in your past, you should be doing this in the future because it will mean this for you. And it's just it's everyone is looking at the camera and saying exactly who they are, where they've been, where they're going, and how they feel about it. Um, and. It's 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 not to not like prequels level where it's boring, but it's because the film is always moving and always you know making you know giving actual life to their words in the moment. It's still like really really bad dialogue. Um, I, I do have a feeling that those scenes were kind of reshot and condensed as the film probably changed a little bit in the reshoots. Yeah, that wouldn't surprise me at all because I feel like leading up to it, especially during the Lord and Miller era. Um, I was wanting to think that we we saw more on Kareli than we get in the actual final film. Like it felt like everything I was hearing was that Kareli was going to be longer than what it actually was. That maybe we would have whatever adventure Han was on may have seen a little bit more, or maybe the escape was longer, or maybe we got to spend some like calm with Kira for a bit longer, or whatever it is. It does feel like. Uh, it's kind of similar to uh, one of my criticisms of Rogue One, but maybe to a, a bigger degree here, because I, I think with both of these so or these uh, Star Wars stories, these anthology films, the first part of both of them just feel like because you've only got this one movie, we're gonna introduce everything like boom, 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 and then like trying to get out of the gate as quick as I can. Uh, so yeah, it just felt like. But in Solo, even beyond Corellia, you know, we we get off Corellia and then we're on Mimban and then we're on, I forget the planet, like the snowy planet. It just feels like, even though I love moments on Mimban and I think Chewie's introduction is honestly like one of my new personal favorite scenes across every film in the series. Um, mm-hmm. But then in the snowy planet, like there's moments, I love it, uh, a lot of it, but it just... It feels like we're just going here, then here, then here, then here, trying to finally get to like this big mission that that serves as the actual plot to the film. Mimban being the uh, military planet, the mud planet. Yes. Okay, I, I had no problems with that. I thought that was a, that was like a perfect uh, sequence within the film. I I really liked it. it. Just it felt to me, and maybe it's just because it's preceded by some rush stuff on Corellia, and then and then even on the snowy planet, I don't have a whole lot of like in the moment problems with it it just and i haven't i haven't actually been able to see it for a second time but maybe just on the first time it felt like all right here's here's like 15 minutes on Corellia, here's like 15 minutes on minban here's like 15 minutes on the snowy planet and then here's the plot it just 
it mm-hmm. feel like we it felt like we've got like three really cool like 15 minute sections but they're all really just trying to hurry up and lead us to uh to Dryden Voss and like the main plot. Yeah, I can understand that. However, I would say that I think the core theme of this film um as stated by Kira, you know, everyone serves something everyone serves someone and you have Khan kind of in the middle of this this a, a galaxy that is in everybody is in some kind of slavery like you have like li- that literally literal slavery in the beginning where they're caught up in um you know in this in this crime world or he's a slave in the army or now even though he escapes and he's supposedly quote-unquote free with um tobias now he's serving dryden voss and dryden dryden voss is working for someone else and it's like at every step of the way there's this constant um oppressive feeling very similar to rogue one like rogue one showed us a galaxy that was like in absolute despair and and despite how fun this film is i love that kazan is able and he does the same thing with um the empire strikes back and with the uh, raiders of the lost ark is he will give us a film that is undeniably fun and entertaining but has a very palpable sense of danger to it um like we've every there feels to be dangerous, like in every action sequence and always around the corner, these people could die. But he also here, similar to Empire Strikes Back, there's this, just this oppressive feeling over everything. Like just the Empire is there and you cannot escape it. Nothing, no matter what you do, it will catch up to you. This galaxy will tear you, will beat you down. And you have, you know, Han Solo in the middle of that trying to become his own man and, and be free. Um, yeah, I just so very, very few films can balance, you know, this lighthearted comedic sense of comedy and just fun character interaction with uh, that kind of just oppressive tone. And I think it's a, it kind of just that alone is something of a miracle that Kasdan is able to do here. Yeah. And what's really cool is, you know, he really could have just tried to mimic that a little bit, like what he did with Empire Strikes Back, because you still have the Empire here. But now, like, I mean, after um, after Corellia. And then I get, you know, obviously moments uh, on the, like during the Kessel run with the TIE fighters, really, we, d- we don't really see a lot from the Empire, but he's, he's now using, I mean, this isn't the introduction to like criminals in Star Wars, but I think this is the most we've ever really been able to live with and like see how the criminal world operates and like some sort of hierarchy. Uh, and so we're really replacing that that looming hanging threat of the empire with with Dryden Voss and with whatever this Crimson Dawn is and all of these conversations happening where you know we don't see a lot of it outside of Dryden Voss and his like just his little yacht we don't see a whole lot of it but we hear so much about it that we really do feel like okay if we don't get this done this is going to happen um, and that you know it wasn't like these super deep workings but I, I also liked you know the way they talk about how one faction deals with another, you know, like we can't go over here because the Pikes have a uh, relationship with this person, but we're not associated with them, so we can do this. And we'll, like, it, one, it's doing what I was really hoping that these Star Wars stories would do, which is just make the galaxy feel even bigger and show me different corners and different operations. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and we should pro- probably mention the cast. Uh, there was a lot of angst. Uh, surrounding the casting of, casting of uh, Alan Ehrenreich, given that he doesn't look or sound remotely like Harrison Ford. And no, he doesn't look or sound remotely like Harrison Ford in this film. However, I love him. 
absolutely completely unabashedly i think he is han solo um you know he is he's not trying to do he's not trying to mimic for he's not trying to you know copy all his facial expressions but that's the thing with, with characters are so much more than the i think they they can be so much more than just the actors that play him obviously harrison ford brought 90 percent of what we love about solo however i think aaron reich is able to take those quirks take that that broad personality along with uh, obviously Kazan's script of a, a younger scrappier version and give us a character that obviously feels different because this is a different time in his life but still captures that bravado and and you know, just sense that cocksure uh, you know, self-assuredness that, uh, that we love about Han and he's able to infuse it into a, a younger more naive character and I loved as the film goes on, he slowly becomes more and more like the Han Solo we know in his bearing and like little faces and winks he'll give where, you know, he's it, just like, that, 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 that's Han. That is Han right there. And he, he, he's slowly, you know, making it more and more like that as the film goes on. I think it's a really good performance. And the, the dude is just charismatic. So charismatic. I mean, he just, he owns the screen. I'm, I mean, he's no Harrison Ford, but for what this film is, he is the perfect casting. And I think... He bring he infinitely enriches this character that we, we I already love, but now I love that much more now that we've seen this other side of him. Yeah, I honestly I really had very little trouble buying that this was Han, and I, I know you know he wasn't doing that impression, but I feel like he just he ended up learning the character so well, and I'm assuming he probably just ended up watching a whole lot of Star Wars and watched Han Solo like specifically. But I, I feel like he did bring a whole lot of similarity in, in just different mannerisms that he had. Um, and then sometimes there was a moment where I'm like, I feel like I just heard Harrison Ford say that. And maybe that is just mm-hmm. because, like, I just, Harrison Ford is synonymous with Han, and Alden did such a good job immediately to convince me that he was Han, that I was just saying them all as, like, the same guy. But, you know, the, I think the moment where in the theater i was like this is like there's no doubt like this guy is han was uh, do, uh towards the climax um uh, whenever um uh, beckett has betrayed both he and dryden and dryden's like what say you uh you and i team up and we go after him ourselves and he's like that's a great <laughs> idea you go first like i love that it just he feels just like so uh han solo or Whenever, you know, he's in his disguise and he's trying to speak that alien language to him and he repeats <laughs> it, he's like, that's what I said! And he just kicks it, like, like this is Han Solo. To any, like, anyone not buying it, like, how do you watch these scenes that aren't just, like, instantly taken back to the guy we met on Tatooine? Like, he just, he feels so right. And like you said, Alden has an insane amount of charisma. Uh... And, you know, going into it, a lot of people were talking about, like, you know, I'm going to buy Donald Glover as Lando, but I just don't think Alden will ever, will ever, like, be able to be Han for me. Alden was my favorite performance of the series, or, I mean, of this, uh, of this film. He's mm-hmm. my, he was my favorite character. I think in terms of what he was able to do as an actor, he was the most impressive. I just, everything about all of his acting choices and all the directing choices with him and and the script. I just, I, and I I agree with you. I think this genuinely enriches the character. Um, And there are moments here that are probably going to be, 
you know, watching this for the first time, I had moments in the the films we've already seen in the back of my mind, like, oh, this sets up that. Well, now going forward, watching it in uh, chronology, I'm sure there are moments where, that I'm gonna I'm gonna get to, and I'm like, oh, this is like that part in Solo, like. I'm going to yeah. be thinking about that watching it now. Yeah, and, and the callbacks. Another thing I really respect about this film, and, and uh, I, I don't know how Lord, being comedy directors, Lord Miller would have handled this, but the way Ron Howard gives us callbacks is he just cra- well, obviously in Kazan as well. They just craft a scene and put in different lines or moments that are obviously calling back to the previous films, but they never stop. Okay, never, not never. There are a couple times where they do, but almost never stop the scene for the joke, for the payoff or for the, with the callback. All of that just happens within the scene. Like th- there are several callbacks. I've seen this film three times that I didn't even realize were callbacks until like the third time because they work so well with these characters in the moment, in the scene that they, they, there's just a, a steady flow of, of this story and the callbacks are just there. They happen and they're gone. If like, if, if no, if people, if you don't catch them, you would never have known there were a callback. And that's the way it should be done. Like, it's not like in Rogue One, say, when you have the we're wanted men, they have the death sentence on five systems or whatever. Or that, or um, when the camera pans over and there's R2-D2 and C-3PO. It, there's nothing like that. It's always, it's always within the story and justified by the context of who these characters are in this moment. I hate you. I know. <laughs> Stuff like that. That's great. Yeah. But, I mean... Uh, on the subject of uh, Alden and, and Donald Glover, what do you think about Donald Glover as Lando? Uh, he's perfect, wonderful, just a lovely, charismatic, smooth, charming, handsome human being, and I'm so envious. There we go. I mean, he, he's young <laughs> Billy D. Like he's he's exactly who you'd he's he is being and doing all of the things that you would expect based on their interaction in Empire. That was one of the things re- I rewatched Empire. Uh, well, I don't even know why I'm saying this. Obviously, on the show, I rewatched it recently for our episode. And watching it that time, during the whenever Han first meets up with him on Bespin, and they're just having these conversations, that's when I was really convinced that I, I actually do want to see a solo movie now, if only just to see these guys' history. And you can you have so many different things you would think that Lando would be doing. Or be like the kind of person he'd be, and Donald Glover just nails that for me here. Uh, that very Loki like sense of charm and swagger, and I mean his smile alone is just like is all he needs to say that he's Lando here. But uh, I think one of the best things about it, as well as he's not just great as Lando, he's got that same kind of chemistry with Alden that Billy D had with Harrison, where it's. You can really see, like, as much as they, I mean, like, literally say he hates him, you can kind of sense this sense of friendship <laughs> blooming between the two, and, like, there's a real sense of camaraderie, and that, you know, I, I'm i kind of rooting for a, a movie, whether it's a, another Han Solo movie or a Lando movie, just to see a little bit more with the two characters, because mm-hmm. I think there's they're just so lovable on screen together. Yeah, and even though he's he's far closer to mimicking Billy D than Alden was Ford, he's still bringing a lot of his own stuff to it as well, and it's all the richer for it. Um, very quickly, the two other cast members that really stood out to me were Woody Harrelson as Tobias Beckett and Paul Bettany as Dryden Voss. I think both of them just completely own their roles. I think uh, 
Harrelson brings a lot of heart we, we, uh, to you know to the character as he does in every film, no matter what no matter what he does, he's always bringing a lot of heart to them. But yeah, he, he's you know he's playing a similar character to what he's played before, but I think he really anchors the film and you know with uh, as you know an older more uh, you know, experienced performer and Paul Bettany. Oh gosh. His character is absolute, even though he's evil, is absolutely delightful. And I, I, I want, I would like a whole movie just watching him be weird and charming and sinister all at the same time. Yeah, it's so weird to think that he came in so late during the production because, like, he's giving such a fully, it feels like his character is completely realized. Like, he has a total grasp on who this guy is, uh, what his motivations are, how, how, just how he interacts with people. Um, and it's to me it's so funny how he can go from just like the most threatening guy ever to like just incredibly charming and then incredibly charming and threatening at the exact same time. I never asked twice, Han. Yeah, that you just you I believe that. I was like, all right, Han, you better do this. This guy this guy's not joking around. Uh but even like whenever they they agree and he's like, you know, during the you know, a good bulk of the beginning of the scene, he's you know disappointed in Beckett he's furious and he's pretty much you know like give me a reason why I should give you a second chance and like he's angry through so much of that and then they're able to convince him of this new one and he's just like this optimistic guy he's like I like this you know this 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 could work and then as they're leaving he's like just remember and I wish I could have seen (laughs) it a second time because I don't remember what he says but it's just like if you fail me again we'll be all out of options and he's because before that you know he's always like when he's mad it's he says it in his demeanor but when he's on board with the plan he's all happy and in that moment he's just like he's making a very real threat that you know can be backed up but it's just like he's still this just suave brit now at that moment it's i just love everything about his performance for as as little as he is on screen and even though you don't really get a whole lot of action from him that bit that you do and maybe it's just because paul bettany's just a really tall guy he feels very physically threatening like he only has those little knives, and Han has a blaster through a good bit of it, and you're still like, "Oh, Han, better hide over here!" Like this guy's not <laughs> playing around. Like he just yeah. feels physically imposing and dangerous. All right, we should probably really start wrapping up. But two things I want to mention is uh, first, the action scenes. I think Ron Howard showed this in um, Rush and in The Heart of the Sea that he put on some really fantastic action sequences here. But here he he really blows it out of the park. Um, uh, we, we talked about this obviously with the Kessel run, but, but the way he's able able to build uh, sequences, the way he you know, sets up the geography and the pacing, and this really creative camera work in here, like where he'll move the camera along with an action that is always just adding a sense of speed and skill to every action being done. Um, or we just whenever Chewbacca's smashing people into the ground, the way he'll just kind of let the camera follow it around. It, it's really, really a creative action direction, I think. Uh, I think he's pro- he's showing himself to be one of the better action filmmakers. I mean, you, you don't think of that when you think of uh, Ron Howard, but there's some really good stuff here. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's without a doubt the best action we've seen from Chewie in the whole series. Like, I was... Those are the moments where I'm wanting to stand up and cheer, is just seeing Chewie kick and punch people and see them flying around and body slam. It's just... He made Chewie feel more dangerous than he's ever been, and he didn't even give him a bowcaster yet, so... <laughs> And uh, the last thing is the score. Um, Han, uh, Han Zimmer, John Williams uh, composed the um, the Hans theme, and then John Powell did the rest of the score. Hans theme, I, I think, is really fun. It feels like a mix of uh, Star Wars and Indiana Jones, which is pretty much what this film is. So I think that's fitting. Um, it's it's 
it's hard to like, I don't know if you can really hum it, but you, you, you feel it in the film. And I think it, it does capture the, the character. Yeah. It's honestly, like I said, having only seen it once, I wasn't really able to take note of like individual themes going on. I mean, outside of, you know, just the, the ones that we've known over you know decades now, but, uh, but you know, you still, it, it doesn't go unnoticed like subconsciously. So I'm just, I, I just knew throughout the film, that I did, and there were a couple of moments from like this feels very Indiana Jonesy, and it just, and that's pretty much synonymous with like you know unfiltered adventure. Yeah, and uh, the the Enfys Nest theme I think is that is now one of my favorites in all of Star Wars. That was amazing. That is the one theme that I like, you know, because a lot of this movie, and it's not in a negative way, but a lot of this movie did feel like it was like remixes and different interpretations of themes we already know, but that new one was pretty amazing, especially during like when we hear it just for extended periods of time over the train heist. It was so good. All right, I think I've pretty much gotten my basic thoughts on this film. Anything else you have to mention before we uh, close out? Oh, yeah. Also, Darth Maul is in it, but that's just... Oh, yeah. That, that happens. Yeah. Uh, I don't I don't know if I could give all my thoughts. I have a lot, of, a lot of thoughts on that. It's just... It was cool seeing him, and, uh, you know, I, I, I did realize it was him from the metal legs and the, the voice before they showed his face. So, Yeah. All right, so as I said, this is our only our first reactions. We will be doing a full episode where we'll dive way too in-depth into all of this stuff. Yeah, there, there, there's so much more I want to talk about that we haven't been able to touch on here. Uh, so next week, we will be back with our normally scheduled episode. Uh, I'm pr- pretty sure it will be the 2D animated Clone Wars series, which we have already recorded on. Um, yeah, so I think that's it. So until next week, we will see you in the sequel. I don't like it. I don't agree with it but I accept it.